It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com, coming to you from COG Studios on a Sunday. That's right, another Sunday show. Sunday, July 21st, after the LA Galaxy's, I'll say it, stunning uh, 3-2 victory over the league leaders, LAFC, uh, extending the LA Galaxy's undefeated streak in El Trafico, uh, which is uh, a whole bunch of interesting stuff. Uh, LA Galaxy played out of their minds. We're going to talk about that game in detail uh, with as much as we can remember and as much as we can recall uh, and get you all the way through that. Also coming up uh, on Tuesday, LA Galaxy play against the Jolos Tijuana in the League's Cup, so we'll, we'll take a l- real quick look at that. Also look at the Western Conference standings and sort of uh, look at what the, who the LA Galaxy's competition is uh, in the Western Conference and how that's shaping up as we get closer and closer really to the wrap-up of the season. I know it's uh, it's not even August yet, so so but there's a lot of games that get condensed in a small amount of time. So we have a lot to get to. To help me do that, Panda's back. He was there at the game. I saw him. He was like three people sitting over from me. He's there to cover it. So he saw it as well. Welcome back, uh, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? How did you see me? I did. I'm I had, wearing camouflage. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I was going to say, you you and everybody else, apparently, or at least a large portion of, uh, of, of LAFC's fan group, certainly wearing camouflage as well. But uh, I just... I and mean, the, sque- the squeaky chair is back, by the way. Oh, I'm still jet-lagged from France, so I'm... Screw it. I'm just not. I'm not dealing with the squeaky chair. It's gonna squeak. So okay, that's fine. I understand. Yeah, it's it's been you. You've had you've had a tough tough run so far. You know, it's been a lot of travel for you. You've got to see a lot of really good games though, and I have to wonder how the uh, the LA Galaxy, LAFC, the the first El Trafico of 2019. How did it stack up in the in the pantheon of games that Kevin Baxter has watched recently? Well, in the games I've watched recently, I mean, it, obviously it doesn't stack up with probably the last three games of the Women's World Cup. Right. The Spain game was pretty good, but France, that there was there was so much buildup for the France game in the quarterfinals, and then the England game um, was great, and then all of a sudden World Cup final. I mean, as, as good as the El Trafico was, and we're going to talk about that name too, right? As good as El Trafico was, it really didn't hold water uh, compared to those. But I will say the Galaxy performance was pretty amazing. And, and the thing is, uh, it, I guess it's good, good and bad. It's kind of a double-edged sword. If they can do that against, uh, you know, LAFC on a Friday, why can't they do that more often? Because they were playing out of their minds. Yeah. That, that was the best game the Galaxy played all year. And I think someone mentioned at the post-game press conference, they talked about how they played with emotion and, and they played with fire and verve and all those things that generally uh, the Galaxy seem to be lacking. I mean, they're a very talented group, and they do a lot of good things well, but you'd never see them for 90 minutes play with that kind of emotion. Yeah, I was going to say, the first 90-minute performance from this 2019 LA Galaxy team, um, maybe the best continuous game they've played in two years, um, because you certainly can't say the first El Trafico was a well-played game by the LA Galaxy. They were down 3 nothing before they came back 4-3. It was a really entertaining game, but that game was not played at the tactical level that, that this Friday night game um, was certainly played at. So I, You know, a lot of people said the 1-1 game, the second game at Dignity Hill Sports Park, then StubHub Center, um, the 1-1 game was actually the best game he, of of any of the El Traficos. I think this one probably passed that one, but of the ones last year, as you know, I did I did some research into that. We sort of did an oral history of the first El Trafico, and, and speaking with Dominic Kinnear and some of the, some other people, 
they they pointed out the one one game that uh, the, the the last of the three was actually the best played game. Yeah, it could have. You know, it, it probably was. Um, just and that was just two evenly matched teams at that point. I mean, but coming into this game and you know setting the stage, um, you know, I've had a lot of comments from people. I I've outside of the very first El Trafico, the very first one that ever got played, I have not picked the LA Galaxy to beat uh, LAFC at any point. And so there were people calling for me early on in the week, being like, Josh, you better make sure that you pick LAFC to win because then everything will take get taken care of. It, you know, everything everything will be right with the world. Um, and so I was I was laughing at that and saying, you know, I, I'm, I was going to pick LAFC mostly when and it was only because of form and everything else. And the Galaxy had played their worst game ever against San Jose. Uh, maybe they were looking past uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Bob Bradley and LAFC. Or, uh, maybe they were looking past the San Jose Earthquakes at Bob Bradley and LAFC. Uh, maybe that was the, the reason. But, you know, coming into this, I expected the LA Galaxy to lose by multiple goals. I, ex- I, I said at one point, uh, if the Galaxy lose by less than two goals, I think it would be a pretty successful game for them. Um, but I, I agree. Now, now, watch. You say that, and everyone's going to go, "Oh, Josh, you know, he's a big Galaxy guy." Now, I'm going to say the same thing, right. and I'm going to get beat up on social media for being an LAFC homer. Right. But right. I, I, my prediction pregame, a couple of people asked me what I thought. I had three-one LAFC. LAFC is the best team in the league. I don't think yes. there's any question that. I, just look at the numbers. I mean, they they came into that game with a plus 36 goal differential. Nobody else in the league even had double digits. They're the best team in the league by far, and they're going to break all the league records for points and 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 goal differential and and goals. So, having said that, Galaxy fans shouldn't look at that and say, "Oh, that's a, an LAFC homer talking." That's the best team in the league, and the Galaxy beat them rather handily because, you you know, the, the second goal came seven minutes into stoppage time. So yeah. it was really a – I said 3-1. I had 3-1 LAFC. It turned out it was actually 3-1 Galaxy, and then the late goal by Vela. Uh, you know, you thought he was offside. We can talk about that. But if you buy what I'm saying and say that LA – and agree that LAFC is the best team in the league, the Galaxy beat them handily. Yeah. It, that's, that's a feather in the Galaxy's cap. That's yeah. not an attack on the Galaxy. No, no, no. I, I think you're right. I'll, I'll say this, too. I said, you know, basically, you know, trying to categorize it correctly is through 20 games, LAFC was it was the best team um, in Major League Soccer. I expect that they will continue that. They're in a ridiculously congested schedule we're on right now, which may have, you know, eventually led to, to the LA Galaxy taking some advantage, advantage over them. Although I don't think LAFC played that poorly. I actually think the LA Galaxy played so well it made LAFC um, look look like they played poorly, um, and we can talk about what Bob Bradley had said and everything else. But um, just understanding that is that you know through the first twenty games, it's absolutely LAFC. I mean, through the first twenty games, you know Carlos Vela is the league MVP, and it's not even close. Um, and it's probably still not close if it continues the way that it has been going. And this one loss for them wasn't just a blip in the road, which it seems like it's just a bump in the road. That's that's really what it seems like. Well, but but you you're right. They didn't play that poorly. They dominated time of possession. Yep. You know, uh, they they outshot the Galaxy. Yep. That's what they do against everybody. I mean, that's that's what they are all about. Possession and shots. And they dominate and they dominate lead in both those categories. They also had more shots on target. Yep. So you can't say, oh, well, the Galaxy took them out of their game or they had a poor game or they didn't execute. They did all the things that they normally do, except uh Zlatan was there. And and you know, he talked about that first goal, and and as I look at the replays of that first goal, it was pretty amazing some of the ball control that he had. But for me, the best goal was the second one because that was a goal where I thought Jordan Harvey had really good position. Yes, it was an amazing cross from Polenta. But to me, that was just Salatan saying, I am going to score this goal. No one is going to stop me. He went over the top of a good defender, headed the ball perfectly, You know, met it at exactly where he had to at the high point, uh, put it past Tyler Miller, who's a very good goalkeeper. 
Um, that goal to me was the goal of the game because it, it was just desire. Zlatan had to have that goal and he wasn't going to be denied. The first one was an amazing goal tactically, but the second one was just, I am going to score and you are not going to stop me. Yeah, let's uh, well, let's go. Let's let's start with whenever we arrived, uh, you know, at the stadium. I'll start. I got there before you. They actually opened the uh, way before. Yeah, they I, actually, was, I was stuck. What was I stuck in, Josh? You you were stuck in El Tráfico. I believe. Actually, thank you. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so so anyway, so you were stuck in traffic. Um, it actually, I was stuck in traffic for a little while there too. Um, the gates opened at four thirty for the media, which is about a half an hour earlier than they normally open for what was supposed to be a seven o'clock kickoff, but wasn't really. It was a seven twenty eight kickoff, which I think we told you about on Twitter. So if you followed, we sort of had you keep up for that and we're, we're giving you a good idea of when that would actually go so um so i got there i'll, I'll tell you just pulling to the parking lot you know around 4 15 whenever i got there i could see that you know the everything was already hopping uh, a huge police presence a huge security presence um there were cars everywhere there were certainly uh, uh jerseys of both sides in the parking lot whenever i got there uh pulled into a parking lot and you know sort of went over and and, and waved to everybody on the way in um, met up with some people and then walked into the stadium with uh, with larry morgan so got in there got situated and settled and everything else um, and then as they have to do um, as part of the sort of the security protocol that goes on within these 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 rivalry games Kevin they have to lead sort of the away fans in a lot earlier than everybody else so uh, pretty quickly there um, some of the stands in, in three different areas which I thought was interesting um, but in three different areas the Galaxy were accommodating large groups of LAFC fans and supporters um, one in the upper decks in the 200s which was at the corner they also had them up in up above the general admission section um, that's sort of uh, bridged the northwest corner. Um, so northwest corner in the 200s was one section and then down across the break and onto the grass berm where there are seats there. Uh, there was another section and then over on the south west corner i should have said northeast corner and then southwest corner uh there was a large group of lafc fans there as well where you usually see uh the youth players uh the youth uh tickets being sold in that area on the lower I, lower sort of bowl there and i think the seats that the berm seats were actually th those were that grandstand was put back in for the chargers yeah, probably put in a little bit early knowing this game was coming but um it, you know that those were the charger seats for the nfl i actually thought Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought the the attendance was pretty close. I mean, it was twenty seven thousand eighty eight, which is the, which pretty is ev which, evenly mixed. I mean, yeah, I, Galaxy fans had had a little bit of an advantage, but not overwhelmingly. So I thought it was pretty close. I think I think here's what I think. Here's what I think you saw. I think you saw dark jerseys and counted those as LAFC fans. Maybe. And and so and you could like if you were trying to say, oh, well, everybody in white is a Galaxy fan and everybody in a dark jersey is an LAFC fan, then you would do that. I'll tell you, there were a bunch of people who were wearing the dark LA Galaxy jerseys and all that stuff. This and is just black T-shirts or just just or dark shirts, maybe. dark shirts. Yeah, whatever it ended up being. This is why I say that maybe that I don't think I would actually lean it more towards 70, 30. I would say this. There's a, there were a ton of LAFC fans there. Absolutely. It was the best traveling away support that you're going to see. Well, they didn't travel very far. Exactly. That's one of the reasons. Um, but I would say it's like 65, 35, 70, 30. And the reason I would say that is that when it got loud, so you got to hear from the different goals and the goals that were scored. And so whenever you could sort of hear. So when Carlos Vela scored his penalty kick, obviously a large, a large roar that you could hear. And you're like, okay, I hear that. Um, that's there. When Zlatan Ibrahimovic scored that first goal, that that was another just ridiculously high level. So way higher again. So as the Galaxy were scoring goals, 
I was hearing a lot more from Galaxy fans, and that included the supporters groups at Angel City Brigade. Um, whenever the, the the stadium actually got in full voice um, behind the LA Galaxy, it was really loud. And I can't say that that's if it's fifty fifty, it's just it's not going to get that loud. Um, okay. Certainly, certainly well, not for Zlatan, um, unless unless LAFC fans were also cheering for Zlatan, which could have been the the case too. And they could have been because uh, you know a couple of those goals were pretty incredible. But let me ask you whether you think that um, because LAFC fans um, it notably had, you know, they've gotten a lot of national attention from the 3252 in the standing section, which now, safe standing, which now the Galaxy are going to add to their stadium, which they've the, the club has wanted for the longest time, and some of the supporter groups did too. The, the now supporters they're finally going to get it. Yeah, the supporters groups, Angel City Brigade, had been lobbying for the safe standing for 10 years. Well, they should have had it. They should have. And, and I, I guess my point is, do you think, and I'm asking this to you because I already know what uh, the answer is going to be on social media. Do you think that, uh, you know, the national attention that the 3252 has gotten uh, has helped in that? You know, the, the Angel City Brigade is now getting finally what they want. They should have had it 10 years ago, but they didn't. Right. And it probably a good thing for the for the Galaxy because they probably couldn't have bought the Chargers in if they had a safe standing section. But in any case, my point is... I think LAFC has upped the ante a little bit nationally. You see what's going on in Minnesota. You see now the Orlando people in Portland uh, with, you know, redoing their stadium and trying to get their supporters groups engaged again. I'm wondering if LAFC had a little bit to do with inspiring the Galaxy fans to get loud and get out there. And, and if they did, you know, that's great. That's tremendous. But I'm just wondering if they've kind of upped the ante a little bit and made it a competition now. Who's who's going to be the loudest? Who's going to be the most fervent? What, what's the best fan group? And, and I don't remember that a couple of years ago. Well, here's what I'll say. I'll say that I think the inclu- obviously the addition of LAFC to Major League Soccer and in Los Angeles has overall made the LA Galaxy pay way more attention. But I'll tell you this. The fans-wise, I think the fans certainly want to be louder and they want to show up to these games and they, they certainly want to do it. But I think more than anything, it's made the front office move. Um, and that's reactionary, which it should have never been reactionary. The LA Galaxy were the leaders in Los Angeles, you know, for, for you know, what, 20-something years, 22 years, 23 years, um, you know, before LAFC even came in here. And they should have just continued that dominance. The fact that they're reactionary to it really makes the supporters, like, seem like they're playing from behind. And that's not on the supporters. I mean, you know, I, I talked to a couple um, couple supporters about the safe standing and stuff like that. And, and a couple people DM me about it. And they said they couldn't believe it took the LA Galaxy this long to get behind. It. They wanted it before Orlando got it because Orlando was the first one to sort of get it in Major League Soccer. Uh, you know, they wanted it before Minnesota got it. They wanted it before LAFC got it. They wanted it before all this stuff. So, you know, I think it, I, I, again, I think the rivalry in general ups the ante every time, right? I mean, that's really what you're seeing is that that both of these teams don't want to lose to each other. Um, and that means the front offices are extremely petty towards each other, which in some ways I admire. In some ways, it makes me just completely roll my eyes in disgust um, with, with all these. I, I sometimes think that we're dealing with adults on a regular basis. And then whenever I see just the pettiness that goes back and forth, it's like, oh, we're dealing with children. Okay, that makes more sense um, whenever this comes. But I'll say this, um, that... If, you know, obviously both fan groups um, on both sides of that have really, um, you know, made this what it is. I mean, you can't walk into that stadium, Kevin, you know, five minutes before kickoff uh, when you have, you know, LAFC fans chanting, when you have LA Galaxy fans chanting, um, when you see the, the when the when LA Galaxy came out onto the field, Kevin, for warmups. I don't think I've ever heard a louder sort of roar. That's like it was like a goal roar when the LA Galaxy actually just came out on the field for warmups. Um, so for all of that, it has made a better atmosphere. Now, yeah. 
Now, I- and, and that's all good. And, and you know, I, you're right about the childish thing. There are a lot of things that happen between the two media groups that are childish and then the fans as well. Uh, you're right. I mean, I hope LA Galaxy fans can say, you know what, we're we're better, we're, we're more engaged than maybe we were a couple of years ago. They don't have to credit the LAFC, but let's just admit that they are because you're right. We haven't heard a roar like that since uh, an MLS Cup. And, and, and I'm hoping you know fans on both sides can look at this next game or, or look at tape of this game and say, you know what, for Galaxy fans to say, LAFC is really good. I really like watching the way they play. They're an, an engaging, attractive team. We beat them. And they're an engaging, attractive team, and we like the way Bob Bradley coaches this team, and they're really good. And then I would like LAFC fans to look at it and say, you know, that's a lot, Tom. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see an athlete like this and not to say, well, we can't appreciate him because he's on the other team. It, you know, if that's the way, if you're going to go in sort of with that myopic view, you're really missing a lot because that was a great game and, you know, some great athletes on both sides. And I appreciated, uh, you know, what happened ball. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I look at what 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 that has. I'll tell you this: the fans, the the hardcore supporters, are never going to see it that way, and that's fine. I, I think that you know the and it is hatred, the hatred that is now between these. I mean, you know, listen, you, if you ask anybody, they're going to tell you that um, you know that San Jose is a much better rivalry. It's been going on longer. It's it's the it's the one that they they pretend to focus on. It, you know, but it's not even close. Um, LAFC is the biggest rivalry with the LA Galaxy right now, and you had MLS media types across you know the country signaling that the LA Galaxy LAFC game, um, while it was being played, while the while the the fans are in there chanting, and while the game is being played on the field, that it's the best rivalry um, you know in Major League Soccer. Of course, they'll change their tune as soon as you know Portland and Seattle play, which is uh, going on right now. So they'll they'll tell you, oh wait, no, it's that one. Um, so maybe it's just whichever one's in front of them at the time. But you know the largest. Uh, the largest crowd of the season is there, 27,000. Um, you know, everything sort of leads up to this. And, and you know, there was, I, I'll, I'll say this, for the most part, Kevin, what I saw was everybody staying relatively behaved. I think there were some little incidents here or there, but I don't know that there was anything giant. And I would I would ask that hopefully uh, that can be repeated whenever the Galaxy uh, go up to the bank as well. Because overall, in the general, I know people are going to send me like all the videos of all the fights yeah. and all the stuff now. But no, I, I checked around before I said this. Overall, it was relatively quiet. And that's how it should be. It should well, be about it- the soccer. And I'm going to go beyond MLS. I'm going to say there are some great sports rivalries in this country. Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, uh, Cubs, Cardinals maybe, um, Dodgers, Giants. But beyond that, and there's a few in college football, but beyond that, um, certainly in L.A., the only thing I think is close in L.A. is USC, UCLA. I think this is already bigger than Lakers, Clippers, bigger than Ducks, Kings, um, certainly Dodgers angels really not. I mean, so many guys go back and forth between the Dodgers and angels, the angel manager for 20 years used to be a Dodger all-star. So, yeah. you know, there's not the same sort of, uh, uh blood, uh, lust between the teams. I, I think this is the second best and, and second best with a bullet is really pushing on USC, UCLA. Uh, and I would put it up with the top dozen, certainly nationally. Yeah. Uh, in all sports. I'll, I'll say this, that, you know, whenever you look at college football, and, and I certainly think there's some dislike between USC and UCLA fans. Um, I don't know if it ever, I, I'm sure there's hatred. I'm sure people will try to correct me on this and say it, but um, the atmospheres at those college football games, in, in my mind, just can't even match the the relatively small crowds that you have at, you know, uh, Bank of California Stadium and at, at you know, uh, Dignity Health Sports Park between those two. I mean, those are, there's 27,000 people is not a lot whenever you figure you can fit, you know, 80,000 
at the Coliseum um, or, you know, 90,000 at, at UCLA. Um, but the bottom line is that uh, the, the the noise that comes out of those uh, these two stadiums uh, the, in Major League Soccer right now during this rivalry is some of the loudest that I've ever heard. Um, and I say that I hate the weak build up to it, and I do. I don't like it because people say stupid things, um, and any criticism of of the team is taken with like you know like like you just stab somebody in the back whenever you say it. Um, and I don't like it. But whenever I get to sit you know up in the press box and sort of be able to take in the atmosphere that is happening on the field in front of me. Uh, it's it's a pretty incredible and and I feel pretty privileged to be able to be there and watch that and cover these games uh, whenever they're happening. It's just and the press box was packed and it was an electric atmosphere in the press box too. It's it's that feeling in in the press box a lot of times for uh, a Galaxy Orlando game. It was like okay, let's get started, let's get this thing over with. The anticipation was electric. It was not quite the level of a of a the most exciting thing i've ever covered is not a super bowl or world cup final the most intense electric feeling at least among the media and in the stadium is before a major boxing match whether it's money mayweather you know pacquiao whomever when there's a big boxing match that's the most electric and the anticipation um it felt a little bit like that in the press box there was this anticipation and you know you talked about the uh, galaxy san jose okay in my mind that's a Maybe not a manufactured rivalry, but it's not the rivalry like this. And the reason is, is uh, the game was played on Friday. On Monday, people are going to go to work. uh, And Galaxy fans work with LAFC fans or they see them around town or whatever. You know, you run into these people on a regular basis doing your daily uh, activities. You don't run into an earthquake fan unless you're driving up to San Francisco. So that's why this one's a little bit different. And that's why I think the USC-UCLA rivalry is is so intense, because you run into these people on a regular basis. Can can Okay, so we're, we're at the beginning here. I talked about, you know, the LAFC fans coming in beforehand, which again... Um, is, I didn't see any of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. They were they, camouflaged. They were wearing camo, Kevin. I, let me get, let me just, I'll, I want to say my little bit on this, okay, which is... Um, I don't like the connotation of it, which is that, you know, um, they're, they're coming in as sort of like an army or an invading army. I get it. I can get the larger overall picture of it, but I don't like necessarily the violence, you know, sort of. Uh, just, just, just. Whenever you think of an army coming in, you think of you know battles and like fighting and 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 bloodshed and killing and all that stuff. So I don't like the connotation of that. But did nobody? I mean, the first thing I thought of whenever somebody says, "Hey, they're wearing camo," I said. Did nobody there think of the very first joke that would have been said, which is, I didn't even see him there? Um, And the LA Galaxy fans picked up on almost immediately, um, which was, you know, oh, we didn't hear him and we couldn't see him. I don't know where they were. Um, And that's one of the the worst things you can do as a supporters group is sort of be, quote unquote, unseen and unheard. Um, so listen, I, it's, it's not, it's more, it's, yes, it's a little bit of judgment here, but it just, it wasn't smart to me. And if you saw it playing on the interwebs as well, um, you know, on Reddit and, and the other places like that, there were fan groups across major league soccer questioning why you would go away from technically your team's colors. Like we're, we're black. We're, we're black. The Galaxy, we're going to, you know, the whole idea was the Galaxy supporters were going to wear white. The LAFC was going to be black. I mean, come on. It doesn't get much better than like black versus white in terms of, you know, the, the hard colors and, and stuff like that. That's that's what you want to see is those Spy alternate. versus spy. Spy versus spy. Like all that stuff. It's just. The, it was a black and white. It was as clear as black and white. It, it, it is all that, though. I mean, that's what it should be. And that's what it was on the field. But then you wear camouflage and you get away from the. I don't know. It just didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I think, I think rightfully they got sort of skewered across you know major league soccer and the, and the interwebs well let me explain something to you lucy yeah um 
my colleague, Helene Elliott, uh, who was there, uh, and the Hockey Hall of Famer, by the way. Yes. Kudos to Helene. Um, my teammate in France, by the way, she came over uh, for the knockout stage. So anyway, Helene came out to uh, write about um, El Trafico. And she was doing a crowd story, and, and she actually checked into this. And, and I agree with you for all the things you said, especially as a pacifist, the idea of showing up in military garb to a sporting event um, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but Helene checked into it, and what she found out is that the, um, the, the, the supporters from LAFC, their theme of this game, and, and they have themes for different games, but the theme for this game was a call to arms. Uh-huh. And the idea of the military garb was they were invading enemy territory. Uh-huh. So um, th- this was an invasion. The uh, Dignity Health Sports Park was invaded without a shot being fired. Hopefully, yeah, I was going to say it was invaded. for the most part it was. I, I would say that the uh, the one uh, the one section. I'll, I'll say okay to that explanation. By the way, just sort of like okay. I mean, it, it clearly was done in my opinion in one room with a bunch of like minded people thinking the same way um, and not understanding what the larger reach of that sort of yeah, PR it's kind would of a be. poor taste. Again, I, you know uh, the. We, we're taught in sports writing now, this is sort of a new thing, you know, it, it, get away from the, it was bomb, you know, and they they blew up or um, they drew first blood and all those kind of military references because it, 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 at the bottom line, it's a game. And yes, it's aggressive at times, but it is a game. And using these warlike references um, sort of it, it sometimes goes a little bit beyond the pale. So the idea of invading uh, uh, enemy turf, I get it. And I've seen that metaphor used, but then showing up in camouflage. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, a bunch of people got in a, together in a room and they thought it was a good idea and it probably didn't work the way they wanted it to. Yeah, that, that one backfired. It happens on occasion, you know, and it's not, it is what it is. Uh, the other sort of part of this is that, you know, uh, we talk about the pettiness between the two clubs and just sort of how they act. And I actually a little bit tip my hat to the LA Galaxy for this one. I'm going to I'm going to give you the complete sort of uh, breakdown of, of exactly what it is. So the, that upper section, you know, in the in the 200s that sit on the far sideline and up in that northeast corner. Um, that northeast corner there is all metal um, stands, right? They put seats in there, but the stands themselves are all made of, you know, metal. And so they're loud if you go up there and you beat on them and you do a whole bunch of things. Well, the LA Galaxy wanted to be especially sure that LAFC fans were safe because if anybody's ever spilled beer on the metal there, Kevin, you know it can be slippery. And so the LA Galaxy actually zip-tied and installed uh, rubber mats in those sections, in that in that upper 200 section. Um, I talked to the LA Galaxy. I asked them why they installed the rubber mats. They said it is for the health and safety of those people who are up there. Um, and I will tell you, with a little tip of my hat and a little wink, I said, okay. Um, and it was one of those where you're like, okay, so they did it to deaden the sound, right? Come on. You, you, know, you know that's why they do it. Well, LAFC fans um, actually removed those mats. They actually broke the zip ties of them being zip tied down, uh, took them and tossed them over the railing uh, in a relatively neat pile, I guess. I don't know how exactly to, to classify it. However it was, they decided they didn't want those mats and were willing to take on the added danger of possibly slipping on the beer that they spilled. Um, so so that happened. I, again, it's just it's those little things that make me chuckle but also make me shake my head. Well, and remember, too, that the official supporter stand, which was in the second deck, um, I, I know there was a lot of talk about, oh, they did this for LAFC. Yeah, probably. But Ziggy talked about it, uh, I think, in his first season as coach. So even before LAFC was there, there was a game, I think, with Seattle when there were supporters down in the old supporters uh, away supporters section, which was in the northwest corner. And Ziggy wanted to know why away supporters were down there. 
um, why it took the Galaxy a year and a half to move them to the second deck. They moved them uh, in the, uh, for the San Jose game. Right. That was the first game where I noticed yep. the away supporters were in the second deck. And then the LAFC game is the second. So LAFC fans are saying, well, you know, why were we in the second deck? We weren't there last year. That is now the new official LA Galaxy away supporters section. Did they do it for the LAFC game? Yeah, yes. probably. But they did it in the San Jose game, so they uh, would have plausible deniability. That, but, that, that's yeah, what they that's sh- where they're going to go. That's that they should put all the entire supporter section. I mean, should... that's, I, I don't disagree with that, right. and but I do, I do see both sides. I do see the Galaxy saying that's where you need to be, and I do see LAFC saying, "Hey, we weren't there before." Yeah, 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 absolutely. All right, so almost thirty minutes into our show, we are now ready to talk about the starting lineup, Kevin. Um, okay. So let's let's get to that a little bit because uh, again we're leading you sort of chronologically through this as we see things and as we sort of uh, ha- have witnessed them as they were going on. But uh, what we saw when the starting lineup was announced about an hour before kickoff was uh, you know David Bingham in goal. Okay, that makes sense, no problem. So uh, Rolf Felcher out at right back. I don't think there were a lot of people who were going to question that. He was a starter in my mind as well. Uh, Daniel Steras uh, in center back with uh, with Pipo Gonzalez, and then you had Diego Polenta on the left left side coming back after he was suspended with yellow cards. He got a break last week. Um, then you had uh, Corona and Jonathan Dos Santos in the midfield. Again, nobody's surprised. Nobody's questioned anything. You saw uh, Fabio Alvarez playing at sort of the tip of that triangle between those two. You had uh, Uriel Antuna out at left side and you had Zlatan Ibrahimovic up at top. Now, the one question everybody had, or at least I was assuming, was that they would start Boateng and Antuna maybe would be on the right side and Boateng would be on the left side and they could use that speed to their advantage because LAFC is a very quick and speedy team and perhaps they could use those two speeds to just to sort of negate that speed. Instead, what we saw was 17-year-old Julian Araujo playing in a right midfield spot, which immediately, Kevin, had all of us asking, but where is he really going to play? Um, that was that was sort of there was buzz around that move. That was the one move that everybody was sort of talking about and saying, okay, that doesn't make a hundred percent sense to us right now. What is Guillermo trying to do? Is that is that a pretty fair fair dis- uh, description of that? Yeah, but remember, he also picked up his first MLS assist in the eighth minute. Well, hey, listen, don't start jumping ahead. I'm just talking about what we were talking about before they kicked off, which was I thought maybe Araujo would come back and play a fifth as a fifth defender. Um, I thought they would go with a five-man back line, and that wasn't really where he was going to play, and it was sort of this staggered uh, 4-1-3, you know, or 5-5-1-3-1, and I was like, wow, the Galaxy are going very defensive. Um, I thought that, and Larry Morgan, who was sitting next to me, said that, well, maybe Araujo is going to roam around and possibly cover Carlos Vela um, and and do that and maybe man-track him and, and a whole bunch of things. So there was all these questions, and I tweeted out before the game started that Guillermo Barrascoloto is taking a risk by starting Julian Araujo in that position because if it works out, he's a genius, which, hey, you can be a genius whenever you do that, and if it doesn't work out, you're a fool because why did you try something in the biggest game of the season for the LA Galaxy so far? Why did you try that in this particular way? Well, here my thought was that perhaps we were going to go to man-marking, and so they wanted the extra defensive player. I think you were the one that mentioned and perhaps he gives cover to Rolf Felcher since yep. they're on the same side, allows Rolf to push forward, and then you have someone to to pull back. But I, all those reasons, you know, I came to the same conclusion that you just did, which is, wait a minute, you know, I my my philosophy 
on this is when you're playing another team, a, 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 a really good team, don't change what you do best. Don't adjust to them. Continue to do what you do best. Because if you say, hey, look, uh, you know, 19 out of 20 times, this is the way we're going to play because this is how our personnel works best. But for this game, we're going to change things up. I think you're just playing into their hands. So when I did see that, my thought was they're going to, this is the team that scored 53 goals. And so what we're going to do is we're going to play defensive against them yes. and hope to score on the counterattack. Yes. Turned out that we were all wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, it was. And, and where Julian Araujo actually played. and where. So we were waiting for kickoff. People were asking me on Twitter. Where, I'm like, I have to wait to kickoff to see where uh, Araujo is going to play. But not only that, think about this, Kevin. You had a 17-year-old Julian Araujo playing at that right midfield role um, in front of Rolf Felcher. And then you had Efrain Alvarez, another 17-year-old, who is more uh, who has been playing that particular position a lot more recently. You put him on the bench instead. Um, so, you know, in my mind, Guillermo Barros-Scoloto is, is making a decision about this. I mean, he's making a, a, really a statement about this as well, which is Julian Araujo right now, where we're at, looking at this portion of the season, is a better bet than Efrain Alvarez in that midfield at that position, be in, especially in this game. You could say it's just this game, however it is. But if we're being honest, and I think we have been on this show, Julian Araujo has been the better 17-year-old than Efrain yeah, Alvarez. And, and for a game like this, I mean, my first thought was you put a 17-year-old in for this game, and then I thought about who the 17-year-old was. He doesn't get geeked up. He's been in big environments in U-20 World Cups and stuff. Right. Uh, I don't think any of those games were like this. I mean, the importance was different, but you've seen those things on TV. There's 11 people there. I mean, this was a whole different environment. Ooh. But, um, you know, again, he was he was cool, calm, collected. I, you know, the, the old uh, saw his ice water in the veins. Maybe that's what it was. But he didn't seem to let the moment get the most of it. No, not even not even close. OK, so now we're ready for kickoff. All right. We're, well, we're, one other change. I yeah. was surprised that LAFC did not have Stephen Bettishore uh, in the lineup. They went with Tristan Blackman as the outside back instead. I don't know if there was an injury or or whether they were concerned about the Galaxy speed or what it was. But they also went uh, with a little bit different look in the back line. Yeah, it was it was a little bit there. Um, so so you had that, but you had Vela up there, you had Diamande, and you had Ro Rossi. So you really you got the three players who you were most worried about with Blessing and Atuesta and K as well in the midfield. I mean, the, this is a full strength, really. Um, LAFC. Right, yeah, no, the, yeah. you, that's you know, on my it, it's an outside back, and Betasor is, is the better player probably. But uh, it, you know, LA, LA Gal or the LAFC doesn't win many games with their back line. So yes, they had the, their offensive weapons were all there and all in the right position. All right, so we're ready for kickoff. The whistle goes off. Um, I said that the LA Galaxy in in my previews and sort of leading up to this game and on Thursday, I said they have to be overly emotional to start this game, Kevin. I said that they had to be you know up for this game because they had to be more pumped up they had to be everything they had to be more aggressive they had to want it more than LAFC wanted it because in my mind LAFC was going to be the better team and if the LA Galaxy couldn't meet that level which they certainly didn't meet that level against San Jose uh, if they couldn't meet that level they were going to struggle in this game so what do you see whenever it first opens up in the second minute um, you had uh, David Bingham um, who after a Fabio Alvarez give Alvarez giveaway in the center of the field uh, LAFC quickly attacking Vela out on the right hand side um, eventually uh, gets pulled out in that way. David Bingham comes off his line in order to cut off any angle, and it's sort of a little bit of a scramble there. And Vela does what Vela does, which is put his body between him and the ball, and David Bingham fouls him. Yes, it was a foul. Um, the only question on that, in my mind, was whether or not uh, Vela was offside on the 
initial ball that sent him in. And whenever I saw a freeze frame of the backside, it looked like he was onside. It was really tight. Uh, I got asked by players after the game whether or not he was onside for the first one. I said yes on the first one and no on the second one. Um, so they were sort of like, man, the first one seemed like he was offside too. I'm like, if you see a freeze frame, you're going to see he's on. Um, and Marufo never even asked for a replay. He pointed right to the spot and didn't even – I don't know if any if, if the fourth official called down and said take a, take a look at the replay, but he – I didn't see any delay. I didn't see him touch his ear set. I didn't – you know, the headset. I didn't see anything. I saw him point to the spot immediately. He yeah. knew what, what the, the call should be immediately. Yeah, the only thing for VAR to check there – there was two things that they could have checked. Um, the only thing – in my mind, looking at the contact on the play, you were like, okay, that's a penalty enough for me where you're not going to call the penalty back for the contact. Bigham touches him. It's there. Okay, so that's a penalty kick. Um, but the only question was the offside call. Once they free, once I saw the freeze frame on ESPN actually up in the press box there um, and saw it go, you were like, okay, got it. That was that 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 looked like it was onside. So there's really no check, and there didn't need to be a delay because everything had progressed pretty quickly. So they did check it. I thought VAR was going to look at it a little longer. They probably didn't need to once they saw where everything was, and they were like, okay, close enough. Go ahead and play. So uh, well, and and let's look at this. Uh, so Vela scores the goal. Right. LAFC leads one and nothing in the second minute. In three of the four. Uh, El Traficos, Vela has scored a goal in the first seven minutes of the game uh, to give LAFC a one nothing lead. So um, it, this is exactly, you know, and LAFC hasn't won any of those games yet. So I get, I don't know, in a sense, is this where the Galaxy wanted them? Is this what they need to, so they sort of need to get punched in the jaw before they wake up? But yeah. Whatever, for the third time in four games, Vela gives LAFC a lead in the first seven minutes. Yeah, so it, it's there. I mean, you know, the worst start you could ask for for an LA Galaxy fan, maybe. I don't know. It seems to always work out for them in these games. But really, you shouldn't be allowing the first goal. The LA Galaxy were 1-7-0 and leading into this game when allowing the first goal. They're now 2-7-0 after the win. Um, but all that, so all of that is, is, is there. But I'll tell you this, that as, as soon as the goal was over, as soon as that happened, um, the Galaxy started with the physical play. Uh, the Galaxy end up with 19 fouls and five yellow cards to LAFC's nine fouls and three yellow cards. The LA Galaxy were out to out physical um, and really try to dominate the space that they were in. Um, that really leads to them winning a whole bunch of duels and winning the, the second ball. And Bob Bradley said it afterwards that they had the LA Galaxy didn't have possession in the, of this game. It, it, possession, as Kevin, you've told, in fact, it's you know a 15% swing. LAFC has almost 60%. The LA Galaxy have a little more than 40% whenever you look at it, 41.7 to 58.3, if you want the exact numbers. Um, so there's 16.6% difference here in terms of possession. But... As I've been saying, the LA Galaxy are a better direct team. And LAFC, Bob Bradley said it afterwards, we had no answer for uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and getting the ball directly to him and playing off of him. And that's really what you see. And even on this first goal where Julian Araujo does get the assist and it was a hopeful ball by him, but it was a smart ball to be played into Zlatan Ibrahimovic who then evades two LAFC defenders uh, with a little flick between them up and over and then the half volley and the outside of the foot finish past Tyler Miller. Um, you know, to tie this game 1-1 within, uh, what were we, uh, eight minutes? Is that Yeah, it was the eighth minute. And, yeah. and to you know, back to what you were talking about, the the Galaxy actually won. Um, they won more duels. Um, they got outpassed, outpossessed, but they did win more duels. They won more 50-50 balls. It was narrow, um, and and with Salatan, remember against San Jose, zero shots on goal. He was very critical of himself last week for that. He said, "How do you think I feel?" And I'm a striker, zero shots. This time he had he led the team. He led both teams. He had seven shots, and I think five of them on goal. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and we have to even mention that even before the goal went in, that uh, the LA Galaxy forced uh, a three-save a three save, save by Miller um, that really should have seen the LA Galaxy go up. I mean, Fabio Alvarez had a header that probably should have gone in, but Tyler Miller had to make a great save. So Tyler Miller was, uh, was under attack, and all of those stats that sort of point to maybe this game being a lot more even than it was doesn't pass the eye test whenever you go back and when you watch this game or you whenever you watched it in person. Uh, LAFC looked dangerous, and I think Guillermo said, you know, hey, it was sort of a good game. When LAFC got the ball, they looked dangerous on the attack. You, you know, you sort of had to watch it. But whenever the LA Galaxy got the ball, they were also dangerous on the attack. In fact, they were more dangerous on the attack. Um, and so going after and creating those chances and doing those things is, is really, and, and you have to point at the physicality of this. Um, you have to point at the LA Galaxy um, really out, out sort of pushing um, and out and being that physical attacking way. Um, so, so you saw this. You had Zlatan with his first goal, which was that sort of technical goal, Kevin. I mean, it's so technical. That goal, I'll tell you right now, is more technical than the one that he scores from, you know, just inside of midfield in the very first El Trafico that uh, ends up going over uh, Tyler Miller's uh, head uh, with the with the long range shot. It's more. It's way more technical than that. Just able to bring that ball down, a bouncing ball that wasn't exactly put in the perfect spot. Um, but you know, Araujo ends up getting the assist. And I'll tell you right now, if Sebastian Legette is in that position, Kevin, that ball doesn't get played up over the top like uh, like Araujo put it in. Um, it was just sort of a smart way to sort of do that. So. In my mind, all of these things sort of lead. So now the, the momentum's there, but, you know, it's hard to remember back. But there were a bunch of chances, uh, chances on both sides there. The Galaxy dominated really the half, but if you go in and look at the possession, they never dominated that possession. But at halftime, this game is 1-1, Kevin. This is not, this is not a, a runaway, even though the LA Galaxy maybe were could have scored two or three goals in that first half. This was not a runaway. It was 1-1, and you sort of felt like Bob Bradley was going to go into that locker room at halftime and make an adjustment to get away from you know the physicality of the players that, that the Galaxy were going for. Yeah, I never saw him make it really make an adjustment of uh, of who was marking Zlatan. Um, I, you know, did, correct me if I'm wrong, but Zlat the last goal Zlatan had a ton of space on the on the header. It was just Jordan Harvey there. Yep. Um, you know, and he has Walker Zimmerman, who's taller and better in the air. Uh, I would have expected him, especially when you saw how the Zlatan was manhandling the defense. I would have expected a double team. Yeah, that, that leaves somebody else open. But what are the chances? that Antuna's going to beat you as opposed to Zalatan. Yeah. You know, I, I take my chances with somebody else, and I double-team Zalatan, and that never seemed... I, I didn't see that happen. No, I mean, you know, they were sort of switching off and trying to trying to cover him. They don't have anybody who could physically cover him. That just that's that wasn't going to happen. Um, so so you got this physical, you got the chippy nature, you got these fouls that are going on. And and Zlatan, by the way, that, that happens with every LAFC game. That's how that's the book on LAFC. That's how teams have, across the league have, have decided to play them. So the Galaxy obviously did a good job in scouting. How everyone else has played them hasn't been super successful for a lot of other teams it was on this occasion but that's kind of the book at lafc to try to rough them up a little bit knock them down take them off their game right yeah yeah no no i i agree with that and and it is there's some tactical reasons that were i can get into here in a little bit i want to i want to get to it um to sort of say what i saw in the tactics and and why in my mind guillermo barish a guy who has been criticized for his tactics um throughout this season by against a, a bunch of galaxy fans is coming in totally out coached bob bradley in this game we could talk about the the little matchups that you see and what they were able to do and and how that ended up you know providing what what was the best sort of performance for me the third 
third goal from Zlatan Ibrahimovic, though, is the most dangerous one in terms of if Zlatan is this motivated, and I've certainly questioned whether he's been motivated enough uh, with the LA Galaxy, but if he's this motivated, uh, again, the one-two passing into space, uh, he, he finds just a little bit of space, ends up hitting a ball, uh, launches Latif Blessing almost into the stands after the shot, which was also uh, just uh, humorous and enjoyable, and Latif Blessing um, actually went on went on Instagram and complained about it. I, w- I would think maybe you'd just be quiet about it after that, because that was, again, just pure dominance from uh, from Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and this guy was a nice back heel pass from Fabio Alvarez oh, too. That just, was really pretty. And that's the thing, Fabio Alvarez started this game in a really bad spot, Kevin. He did not play well, probably in the first. <laughs> Bless you. Are you okay over there? Oh yes, okay. I was just a little cough. Okay, Sorry. I I'm, should have pressed that. I got this little cough button. Yes, you do. You can press it anytime you want. By the way, that that'll work. Anyway, so you the chair, chair squeaking. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see okay. if everybody also comments on the chair. Um, but no, whenever you uh, whenever you see uh, you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who was who was fired up for this game, there's multiple incidents of of let's see after the first goal scored, uh, Zlatan runs over and celebrates right in front of Bob Bradley. Right in front of him, uh, which was great. Again, this is what Zlatan does to get fired up. This is what he ta- he talked about the heat in the stadium in terms of you know the atmosphere of the stadium and how it drives him. Uh, he I asked him afterwards and he said you know I brought the heat. Uh, I brought the heat myself and I think I did a pretty good job. Um, you know that type of thing. And he did he did provide sort of that emotional lift for the LA Galaxy. But for a guy who you question why he can't play like this all the time, I think the answer is always that he's 37 years old. Um, and that he probably can't put in a performance like that every single game. But what he was able to do on this night, uh, and by the way, a total team effort from the LA Galaxy. We're not we're not minimizing that, and I want to talk about that more as well. But what he was able to do on the night is something that I don't think there's any other player in Major League Soccer that can take over a game like that. Um, you know, Carlos Vela's great, and he's going to end up being the MVP of, of Major League Soccer, uh, but he doesn't have the physical dominance uh, a lot of times to take over a game the way that Zlatan Ibrahimovic was able to do to him and his team. Well, Zlatan is the tallest attacker in the league at 6'5". Um, there are some taller defenders and goalkeepers, but he's the tallest attacker in the league. He's the most physical. He's probably one of the heavier players in the league as well, but he... It, it, it's kind of like he's kind of like ba- uh, soccer's version of LeBron James. I mean, he's a, a guy with a big body that can play power forward, but can also dribble and shoot like a point guard. And that's kind of Zlatan. He he has the skill. I mean, he had the the, the uh, he scored for the cycle. He had a left-footed goal, a right-footed goal, and a header. But they were all distinctly different goals. In in addition to the fact that you know each foot in the head. The first one, as you said, very technical. The second one was just pure brute force. And the third one was, I don't know, smart, you know, being in the right position, space. He just, he could do it all. And that makes it difficult for opposers, opposing teams to defense him. Because what do you do? Do you take away the aerial game? Well, he can play with his feet. Do you take away his left foot? Well, he can score with his right. Uh, how do you defense him other than putting two guys on him? And then then it's up to whoever is left open to to take over the game. But we've seen this before with Salatan. That, that, that this was probably his best performance. But I remember the Orlando City game last year where every time Orlando City scored, he came back and scored uh, right afterwards within minutes. And the Galaxy wound up winning that game. And it was just one of those – you could see it happening. Salatan, for whatever reason, in that game, it wasn't that important a game at the time. But Zlatan decided he wasn't going to lose that game, and he didn't. 
Yeah, and, and that's that's that determination. And again, I don't know that you have that determination for every game from him, which is uh, probably frustrating to Galaxy fans, but I don't know if you can expect it from a 37-year-old who, who you know, really may not be with the LA Galaxy next year if, you, if you're sort of looking at, at I think, how Guillermo Barrascoloto is, is talking. He talked about... Guillermo talked after the game, though, Kevin, and he did say, you know, hey... Um, you, you know, it, it's up to us to build a team around Zlatan Ibrahimovic because he's a great player, basically, in, in paraphrasing. Well, um, a, a couple of things about that. First of all, did you know that his son Vincent wasn't even in the country? He, his 11-year-old son Vincent was playing with the L.A. Breakers elite team in Sweden at a tournament. So I found that interesting um, because of the, a couple of things. First of all, I went back to Sweden. I guess that's probably fun for Vincent. But also the fact that his kid's now involved with a club, an elite club team in L.A., um, perhaps Zlatan is thinking about setting down roots. Although if you're Zlatan Ibrahimovic's kid, wherever uh, your dad goes, you're going to get to play for an elite team. So maybe that's not that big a factor. But I did write this weekend about the sense that, I've, that I'm getting that perhaps this is Zlatan's last year in MLS, or at least with the Galaxy. And the reason I feel that is a couple of things. One, he's talked a lot more this year about how frustrated he is with MLS and the level of play. He said that he told ESPN that this is the most difficult year that he's had in his career. And it's been mainly dealing with the level of play. He doesn't, he kind of hasn't got his, his, his arms around the fact that all these players are not premier league level players. If they were, you know, if, Boateng could play in the Premier League, he'd be in the Premier League. He's not. He's an MLS. And that's not a knock about anybody here. I'm just saying that's a different level of play. And Zlatan gets very frustrated. He talked about it's one of the reasons he retired from the Swedish national team is the players couldn't, in his words, keep up with him. And uh, you sense that frustration here. So I don't know whether Zlatan wants to go through with that again. So that's his side. You know, he'll think about that over the winter. He's going to have a great season. He's having – when they win and when he plays like this, I think he enjoys it. He has fun. I think he believes he's raising the level of play, which he is. I think he enjoys that. But does he want to deal with the frustration again? That's his side. And he talked, too, about how he does want to start a movie career. Right. And he needs to do that at some point before he gets – you know, before he loses that the physicality that would make him the kind of actor that he wants to be. Um, on the Galaxy side, it's clear that Dennis DeClosa and, and Guillermo Barroscoloto have a vision for this team, and you see them constructing it when they bring in Fabio Alvarez, when they start chasing Pavone. Some of the guys they're bringing in, Ariel Antuna, they have a vision for what they want to play. They want to play an LAFC style, an Atlanta United style. They want a 4-3-3, a pressing, an, an attacking team. They want to dominate in terms of possession. I don't know that they can do that with Zlatan, up front, And when Zlatan plays a, a game like this, you say, well, that's tremendous. You want him there when he plays a game like San Jose, when he sort of clogs things up and doesn't manage to get a shot. Then you say, well, maybe maybe the, the style that, that Guillermo wants to play would be better. But you see that the Galaxy constructing that kind of a team. If Zlatan doesn't come back, they have $7.2 million to aid in that construction. Right, right now, Zlatan takes up 40% of their salary budget. So you can see both sides. I you know, my the article basically was just pointing out that this is a possibility, not necessarily a prediction. But you can see both sides. You can see Zlatan getting tired and walking away, or, or even maybe perhaps going back to Europe. You can see him staying. There's good arguments to be made on both sides. You can see the the Galaxy saying, "Are you kidding? This guy's the most dominant player maybe in league history. Of course we want him to come back." Right. But you could also see them saying, "Hey, that's seven point two million dollars. Get us Pavone and maybe somebody else, and really accelerate this rebuilding, which we're going to do eventually, anyways. Why wait another year? Let's just do it now." 
Yeah, I mean, you can, you can see that. Uh, last year, Zlatan had uh, 22 goals, right? I mean, this year he has 16 through 17 games played. Right now, in terms of the pace that he's on and where he could be, he is, in, in terms of goals per game, he's averaging .94 goals per game right now. And that puts him past Carlos Ruiz, who was the most dangerous LA Galaxy striker on in club history of .92 goals per game. Um, if you look at the minutes per goal, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is scoring one goal every 96 minutes uh, the the person who has the best ever minutes per goal uh, on the LA Galaxy before Zlatan did it is, is doing it right now the 96 was Zlatan last year with 97 um, so one goal every 97 minutes and then Carlos Ruiz was one goal every 99 minutes and uh, he had 26 for the season right so Zlatan is on pace to break his record yeah, he had 24 so Carlos 24. Ruiz had, yeah, had 24 Zlatan had 22 last year Zlatan has 16 right now it's really about games played. Now, Zlatan's still on yellow card watch, um, so whether or not he will play against Atlanta, so he'll make the, the trip right now up to Portland, then there's an all-star game and, and, and that he has to play in midweek, and then he's supposed to go to Atlanta. Well, if he gets a yellow card uh, against Portland, then he will not. And he almost took his shirt off, I think, on the third goal and then decided not to. Um, so he was he, he wanted to play in Portland because he could have got the yellow card and not played in Portland. Um, maybe it was a smart move. Maybe it wasn't a smart move. I, I don't know how that goes uh, overall, but Zlatan Ibrahimovic right now now is on pace, but it's really probably going to be more about his games played more than anything, Kevin. And well, if, if he gets suspended or if he uh, if he gets suspended by the league, if he gets suspended for yellow cards, uh, that's going to hurt his chances of, of setting the Galaxy's all-time because, record. Because there's 13, what, 13, 12 team games left. Um, but he, he, you pointed into the schedule. It's very interesting. Portland turf, right? right. They, they yes. still have turf there with yes. the new stadium. Atlanta turf yep. in between a trip to Orlando for the All-Star game, which I fully expect Zlatan to make this year. I think the league was very clear last year that they want him to shake hands and say hello to some of the sponsors. The game is on grass. But you're right. Two turf games, uh, then an exhibition game in the middle, and a cross-country trip worked in with all that. And then coming home, after Atlanta and going back to play DC United, which I know he's going to want to play that game against Wayne Rooney. There's no doubt he's not going to miss that game. So it's, uh, you're right. I mean, I could see him picking up a yellow card on purpose almost. Uh, yeah, against Portland. He missed one of those games. Yeah, exactly. So, um, no, so that's how it is. So Zlatan, again, um, on pace to do amazing things. So it's sort of hard. I'm, I've been this year, I've said that this is Zlatan's last year with the Galaxy, but, I mean, he's continuing. It's just ridiculous what he's able to do. And it's so hard to be able to predict because I'm with you. I can see him going. I can see him staying and everything else. I, okay, off of Zlatan just for a second. Because um, he was clearly the story of the, t of the game. But this was not just a, oh, Zlatan scored three goals and he did it all by himself and he had to hoist the LA Galaxy up on his shoulders in order to do it. That's not how this was. This was a complete team effort. It was the most complete team effort that we've seen from the LA Galaxy in a long time, certainly this year, maybe even longer into last year. Um, this blows that Minnesota game that everybody said was the Galaxy's best game when Zlatan didn't play. Um, this blows that game out of the water in terms of just the, the constant concentration that they had uh, through the entire thing. We talked about Vela's goal that he scores, you know, in the 97th minute or the seventh minute of stoppage time, whatever it was, um, you know, at offsides modeling on uh, on Twitter confirmed it was offside. It was really tight, by the way. It was like five inches offside, um, but it looks offside whenever you see it on the replay um, and VAR didn't touch it again. VAR stayed pretty much out of this and they could have gotten into it uh, with Fabio Alvarez whenever there was that little scruff um, that was sort of uh, near our, our near sideline in front of the press box. And I thought Fabio Alvarez was going to get a red card in that. There was also apparently a punch or at least another push uh, by some LAFC players as well. So there was pushing and shoving. And in this case, in this rivalry, 
you have to you have to let that go. You can't you can't be calling any well, of that stuff. And there was John, early in the first half there was that Jonathan Dos Santos slide into Walker Zimmerman, which depending on what angle you looked at, it looked like it was studs up, then it didn't look like it was studs up. So, but, but VAR did, appeared not to take a look at that. I'm going to push back a little bit uh, on what you said though. Yes, it was a complete team effort, and and everyone on the field played an exceptional game. But you said you, you that this was not a case of Zlatan carrying the team. Um, as good as everybody played. I don't know that they get a, a goal from anybody else. I mean, at the very least, it, that game might have ended 1-1 if you uh, decide the second Vela goal shouldn't have counted. But I didn't see anybody else. that. I mean, there were other players that had shots, certainly, but I didn't see anybody else that was dangerous, really. Yeah, yeah, but, um, but that... Laton, it, it, he had the three goals, and I didn't see any others that were really close. Fabio Alvarez had the header that should have gone in. Uh, Tyler Miller made the save. Listen, my, my argument isn't that, that Zlatan shouldn't have created all the offense. My argument is that the LA Galaxy provided that offense to Zlatan in areas that he could succeed. And if you saw Zlatan on the night, he wasn't sitting there screaming at people. Um, this is the the game that shows that Guillermo Barrascoleto not only got the tactics right um, and probably has been getting the tactics right, but that the LA Galaxy actually followed the game plan. We've heard over the last probably month of after certainly after the San Jose game up in San Jose and then the San Jose game down in Los Angeles. We've seen both of those games where the players came out and said, you know, we didn't follow the game plan. We had a game plan. We didn't follow it. Um, and this seems to prove that Guillermo Barrascoleto has been setting these guys up for success and the team has not been able to follow through. On, on what he's been asking them to do. And in this particular case, on this night, they got it all 100% right because as much as the stats will tell you this game was even, it was not an even game and it certainly wasn't a one-goal game. Uh, it was a two-goal game. Um, you know, sort of, you could yes, you can look at the score and say it was 3-2. Vela got two goals. Zlatan Ibrahimovic got three. Um, however that was, the LA Galaxy dominated for really almost all of 90 minutes and didn't have the possession. It also showed me that the LA Galaxy, once again, are a much better direct team and playing direct for the LA Galaxy gives them the most amount of success um, and then there's you can't pick one player on this LA Galaxy lineup Kevin that didn't have a good night David Bingham played well uh, had to make some saves Rolf Felcher on the right hand side played well Starris played well Gonzalez played well Polenta played outstanding the two really the man of the matches outside of Zlatan Ibrahimovic for me are Diego Polenta and Julian Araujo um, for reasons tactically that, that I can explain too but those to me were the guys who just didn't give up all night Diego Polenta was more fired up than I've ever seen him with the LA Galaxy I mean that's a guy who did not want to lose this game and dragged the the LA Galaxy forward whenever he had to and his job was to take Carlos Vela and not let him get on his left foot and outside of a couple shots early in that uh, Polenta and Gonzalez made Vela go right almost every single time just it, it's it's the man marking it was the it was everything that you wanted from that defense um, really really did that and but but here's the thing it was an exceptional effort I, I, I agree with you everyone was great and I agree with Polenta and Araujo were outstanding when you do that, though, I, I look at that and I say, well, where has this been all? Yeah. And I don't know that we're going to see it again until August 25th, because clearly uh, a lot of people got up for this game. This was the game that had been perhaps circled on the calendar. You know, the Portland game's important. They're going to Portland. Portland has not played well at home. Portland is in a playoff race. Um, you know, Atlanta United, the defending champions, are going to go there, play in front of 70,000 people in Atlanta. Then they got DC United and Wayne Rooney. I just don't see them putting in this kind of complete team effort until they get back to to the next El Trafico at Bank of California. Well, I mean, but that's the thing is that, you know, yeah, you can say that, oh, well, they only get up for LAFC. What we've seen so far this season is that that is the only game where we've seen them play their best. 
Um, I don't think they need to play 100% of that game in order to be a really good team in the Western Conference, and I think that they could have an unbelievable finishing run if they play at 75 to 80% of that um, because the movement was correct. You have to hope, if you're an LA Galaxy fan, I think certainly is uh, is the, well, where has that been this whole season? But also, this is the second half of the season from a team that had a bunch of changes to it, um, that's learning the system that Guillermo Barrascolota is trying to put in. Um, all these things. So, I mean, you know, you, you can say a bunch of things. is like, where has this team been? I remember a 2014 LA Galaxy team that was losing, I don't know, 2 nothing or 3 nothing to Colorado um, in Colorado, and Bruce Arena came back after halftime and says, we're going to learn a lot about this club in the second half, and they came back and won it 4-3. I mean, all of these things are turning points. We have to ask ourselves now, is this a turning point? Did they learn enough because the positioning was perfect? There's a really big, important piece to this. And we all know that LAFC plays this high-pressure sort of defense, right, Kevin? They like to pressure the ball. Um, they like to have it turned over inside the, of the offensive zone. Um, and they had a couple of successes with it. But on the most, uh, but for most of the night, the LA Galaxy were out, allowed to outpass it. And it's a really simple thing that you have to do in order to break that pressure, but it's really, really hard to do. And that is you have to hold the ball a split second longer than you're comfortable doing and invite the collapse of those players towards you. So that way you can open up space for every other thing. So, uh, you know, Joe Corona was excellent at this. Jonathan Dos Santos was the expert at this. And Fabio Alvarez was the outlet for this over and over and over again, which is allow the pressure to collapse, make two quick passes into space. And then there was space for people to run. There was space for Araujo to get on the ball or a space for Antuna to get on the ball. Um, and then just the, the other side of this is that if you look at the side that Vela played on, which is the right, side for the attackers or the left side for the LA Galaxy defense. The side that Vela on had Pipo Gonzalez, Diego Polenta, and Jonathan Dos Santos. And anytime Vela wanted to cut inside, Jonathan Dos Santos cut off that cut. And anytime uh, Vela wanted to run towards that touchline, Diego Polenta was there to sort of make sure he didn't cut back on his left side, to, to use that left foot and come back inside. And then if he did get inside position on Polenta, you had Gonzalez step up. And the same thing happened on the other side, but this time with Araujo helping on the coverage and this is where that genius comes in from Guillermo Barrascoloto to understand that Julian Araujo, who apparently has played at that right midfield position before, was able to provide not only defensive cover for Felcher, but Diego Rossi didn't touch the ball, it felt like, in the first half. There was nothing from Diego. I mean, you're talking about a team that, that lives off of Kevin, and you can, you can attest to this, that lives off the fact that if Vela is covered, Rossi's available. If Rossi's open, then Diamande's available. Blessing can overlap and get into the offense. K can overlap and get it. Atuesta is going to be dangerous. All of those things that could happen did not happen on the night because of the way that the midfield played for the LA Galaxy and the way that Guillermo Barrascoloto set up the traps for LAFC to run into, and he got really quiet nights for two of the best players in Major League Soccer and Rossi and Vela, and really in Diamande as well. Well, I, maybe one thing good that comes out of it is, is it, the Galaxy know that, that this is there, that they can play that way. And perhaps if there were people that had some disagreements with the strategy that Guillermo Barrascoloto was using, now maybe they'll uh, they'll go with the flow a little bit more and trust the the coach. Another thing is is you know the Galaxy didn't make any substitutions until after the 75th minute. Yeah. Um, generally, you know, there's some substitutions not short you know shortly after halftime, 55th, 60th, 65th minute. The starting lineup was playing so well, even in the heat. Um, he didn't have to do anything. It was a sort of put it on autopilot and just let it go. 
Yeah, no, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there's another side to that as well, which is all the injuries really didn't have a bunch of, uh, of great substitutions coming off the bench. You put Boateng in, um, you know, obviously that was sort of going to be a relief valve for the LA Galaxy towards the end, and, and you saw that work that way. Um, so all of these things sort of, you know, are, are, are filter in. But I'll tell you that Boateng came in and the Galaxy give up a goal inside um, inside sort of that midfield and, and, and with Vela sort of sitting in between uh, Gonzalez and and uh, Diego Polenta there. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's reasons that, uh, Guillermo didn't go to the bench and really you would like to bring in somebody like Perry Kitchen uh, you would like to bring in somebody like Chris Pontius you'd like to bring in somebody like Sebastian Legette if he wasn't healthy and, and didn't start that game so um, all of those things sort of lead to the fact that really if you look at the bench and who you were going to bring in that there was limited by the injuries that the LA Galaxy had but they didn't need them um, I don't know what this means in the, in the large scheme of things for the LA Galaxy I'll tell you what it means to me um, at least you know right now um, is that this LA Galaxy team is perfectly capable of beating any team in Major League Soccer, and if you're if you're a team that has confidence going into the playoffs, uh, it doesn't matter where you go with that team. I think that this this LA Galaxy team is good enough, um, you know, technically speaking, to win an, uh, an MLS Cup. Kevin, that's that's what this comes to me is that that level was a championship level on the night. That is that is the the bar that they have set for themselves, and maybe they never reach it again. Um, but they understand now they know how they can play that way. And so you'd expect that it gets better. You expect they take this game and this momentum up to Portland. But, you know, it goes the other way, too. Maybe there's a huge letdown in Portland because all the emotional and physical energy that they expended against LAFC, you know, isn't there for the Portland game and, and traveling up to play Portland. Maybe that's the case as well. But the Western Conference is getting tighter. Um, there are a bunch of good teams in this. You know, I expect that Portland is eventually a playoff team and, and you know, they seem to be inching that way. Uh, you know, Seattle's a playoff team. LAFC is definitely a playoff team and probably will win uh, the Supporters Shield and will have that number one seed in the Western Conference. Um, San Jose is a playoff team. They are a very good team. One of the hottest teams in Major League Soccer. Kevin corrected me beforehand. The hottest team in soccer right now is the New England Revolution. Well, it's the hottest team in soccer is Bruce Arena. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get Bruce in there. I mean, Bruce is 2009ing this uh, this this New England Revolution team that he did what he did to the LA Galaxy. They have not lost since he came. I took over with 19 points yeah, since and, he took over. And I think they signed a designated player as well. I mean, they're they're spending money, which is something, you know, the Crafts seemed like maybe they haven't done in a while. So maybe it was tough. Bruce somehow figured out a way to pry that wallet open, which is uh, another thing. But, you know, I mean, that, those teams. But in the Western Conference right now, there are some real teams that can really play. Um, and the LA Galaxy need to figure out where they are. I would say the eye test tells you they're not the second best team or the third best team in the Western Conference. But after the game against LAFC, you, you reevaluate that at least for a second. I mean, power Power rankings, if you believe in any of those, and I hate power rankings because they generally are so just sort of, um, you know, sticking your thumb up in the air, which way the wind's blowing up. Oh, it's this one. This person's number one. But power rankings have to show the LA Galaxy jumping um, in that game because it was such a good performance. Well, the, the way I look at it, and I said this last year, too, if the Galaxy get in the playoffs, they are even if they're the last team in, they squeak in by a point, which they almost did last year. They become the most dangerous team because of Zlatan. I mean, if you look at the – take him out of the picture and just look at the team and the way they match up and you think, oh, well, you know, maybe the Galaxy make the playoffs. Maybe they win a game or two. Probably not going to go deep in the playoffs. When you have Zlatan and you saw what he did in this game, in the Real Salt Lake game last year, maybe the first El Trafico, he changes uh, – you know, he changes the whole equation because you never know what he's going to do. If he decides to step up and take over a game, then you have a result like this. If he decides he's not going to get a shot on goal like against San Jose, then you have a result like you had against San Jose. Um, 
I just think he changes the complexion of the game when he decides he wants to get out there and play, or or maybe I shouldn't say when he decides, when he is is able to play, when things fall his way, he changes, he makes the Galaxy a, a completely different team. So if they get into the playoffs, and as you say, you know they may not be the best team in the Western Conference. If they get in as the third or fourth team, they have Zlatan. That changes everything. Yeah, yeah, it does. And you're right. And and that makes it so standings as it goes, uh, Seattle was sort of waiting to see if Seattle had uh, for, formed some sort of comeback in, in their game against uh, Portland, which they were hosting. Uh, Seattle was hosting Portland. Um, they no, they did, lost two to one. They lost. Yeah. So right now, as it stands in the Western Conference, LAFC at 46 points, which, by the way, the LA Galaxy now closed that gap nine points. It was 12 points. Now it's nine. Um, the LA Galaxy at 37 points. Seattle Sounders at 35 points. Minnesota at 34. San Jose at 34. FC Dallas at 32. Real Salt Lake at 30. In my mind, when I look at the teams that are below the line right now, Portland is going to finish above the line, in my opinion. Um, I don't know where that puts FC Dallas and Real Salt Lake, but the Galaxy will have a chance to play FC Dallas here in, in a reasonably short amount of time um, whenever that comes up. So so maybe you'll get to see that a little bit. Um, I don't know. Sporting Kansas City might be too far gone in terms of all the injuries they've had. Colorado, uh, while they've improved under Connor Casey, are still you know pretty low down there. Vancouver is sort of now a basement dweller um, in the Western Conference. I don't see them climbing above the line. Houston could possibly climb above the line, but Portland and Houston could possibly climb above the line. So there's two teams that have to see their way out in order for everybody to sort of stay in the LA Galaxy to stay, um, you know, in this top group, the top seven in the Western Conference right now. Um, and I think that if you look at it, the LA Galaxy are a better team than Minnesota United. So I would say that you could you could say the Galaxy will finish above them. I feel like they're right now, the LA Galaxy are a better team than FC Dallas. And I feel like the Galaxy are a better team than Real Salt Lake and Houston Dynamo. I think Portland gets in there. Um, I think that Real Salt Lake may be able to stay in there. I haven't watched enough of them lately to sort of do it. But in my mind, the LA Galaxy are absolutely 100% a playoff team right now. And maybe that wasn't something we said. In, it was a question even. I know last Thursday, it was a question. Can the Galaxy stay above that line? If they play with you know 80% of what they were able to play with against LAFC on Friday night... Um, this is this is easily a playoff team, and they might even keep that second spot in the West because that performance was something um, we haven't seen from the LA Galaxy. And quite honestly, I don't think the league expected the LA Galaxy to play that well and be that dominant against you know the, quote unquote the best team in the league. Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, the uh, compacted playoff schedule could work against the Galaxy because, as we just said, their their team changes depending on how a 37-year-old striker plays. So if the compacted schedule means that Zlatan is less efficient because he's having to play more games in a shorter period of time, that hurts them. The other thing, though, is the compacted playoff schedule, it's – uh, you know, if, if you are in the lower half of the bracket, you go on the road. And when you look at some of these teams, um, you know, Seattle is, uh, well, until tonight, they were unbeaten at home. So they've lost at home. Minnesota's lost just once on the uh, at home. They have a losing record on the road. Uh, Dallas has lost just once at home. They're 3-7-1 and one on the road. So if Salt Lake City, the same thing. So if you get in a situation where these game, th- these teams with this great home record, Houston's lost once at home and they're 2-8-0 on the road. They're going to have to play that playoff game on the road, and they're it, they're a completely different team. That works in the Galaxy's favor. You talked about the yellow card, though. Um, I'm sitting here right now looking at some video of uh, uh, some play a play from the end of the uh, El Trafico where Zlatan went up and and el- elbowed uh, El Morir. Uh, the defender from LAFC. And if, if you saw some of the video, there was an altercation between one of the LAFC assistant coaches and Zalatan after the game uh, that got pretty heated. And that was, was what it was about. It was about Zalatan. Clearly, if you look at the, the video, 
clearly throws an elbow. Now, whether it's intentional or not, it looks to be intentional. You could argue that it wasn't. In either case, it looks like uh, the LAFC player may have to have surgery tomorrow. He has a, a, looks, appears to have a fractured bone on the side of his head. I don't know if the disco will take a look at that and, and decide that maybe that was uh, suspension worthy. We'll have to see. But just looking at the initial video, as I'm doing now for the first time as we're doing this podcast, it looks pretty rough. I would not be stunned if the disciplinary committee took a look at this. Yeah, uh, I think the disco might look at a couple different incidents in this. Um, there was a there was a cleat up tackle on Antuna as well that was not even called uh, or maybe was called a foul, but uh, was not given a yellow card. Now, Antuna is subject to rolling around on the ground a lot, um, but it was a clear studs up sort of uh, catch that caught him on the foot that was pretty dangerous. There's a bunch of dangerous stuff that happened in this game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that the disco sits this one out, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they can't wait to get their fingers into this game. Um, and listen, Zlatan is going to get, you know, he always walks that edge. I'll tell you this, um, people know that they walk. he walks that edge, so you certainly know you're going to get a mouthful from him if you're a coach or you're opposing player and you try to go after him or say anything, he's going to give it back. And that that carried through all the way from after the game, Kevin, where, where we've seen that um, with Zlatan saying some not-so-nice things. Um, by the way, was also being sort of, you know, uh, uh, yelled at by the, by the LAFC assistant as well, was going after him um so you know those two were, were getting at it and it traveled all the way through the champions lounge all the way back through and i've seen video of zlatan still yelling um whenever he's going back and walking through basically to the locker rooms where the two locker rooms split and go their separate ways so um you know it's again we've talked about it before you get what you get with zlatan ibrahimovic you know the antics are there you know that he's going to get fired up for these games and you know he's going to be physical um and and all those things so you know he sort of made a joke about it he goes well if i don't get suspended then anymore maybe I can I can score as many goals, um, you know, in, in Major League Soccer and, and really challenge Vela for that. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that ends up. Um, well, he is, as you said, he's not a choir boy. He's not going to shake hands and say good game afterwards. He um, and, and that's why he's good. I mean, perhaps he wasn't fired up for the San Jose game. Clearly, he was for this one. And you see his reactions afterwards. Um, you know, he he has said that before, too, that he needs to fire himself up. He needs the adrenaline flowing. Uh, and you'll see, uh, like the Real Salt Lake game, where he all of a sudden decided he'd go after one of the Real Salt Lake defenders. There was there was nothing personal about that. That was Zlatan trying to fire himself up. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, no, it's it certainly is. Uh, again, he he just that's how he is, and we'll see what happens uh, with the uh, with the whole thing. It was uh, Amro Tarek, wasn't it? Was that the 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 player um, who got? Uh, Elbowed. I'm just. I'm also no, getting. No, it was Mohammed El Morir. Oh, that's who it was. Okay, cool. Um, somebody tweeted it out. I think that was the the reporter who t- who tweeted it out. Um, so um, anyway, no, looking at that. I mean, yeah, we're gonna have to see what the uh, what the LA Galaxy do, what uh, what MLS does, and and again, if Zlatan doesn't make the trip to Portland, um, I, I don't think anybody will be surprised. To be honest with you. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as that goes. Again, we're we're recording. That's coming through as we go. I just got sent a, a text message on it as well. So we'll see if uh, if what happens with that. Um, but the LA Galaxy don't get a, a real good break here, Kevin. Uh, the LA Galaxy playing on July 23rd, coming up playing against the Jolos of Tijuana. Um, listen, this is a League's Cup game. We've talked you know a little bit about the League's Cup on on previous ones. I went over some of the crazy rules you're going to see. Look look for those ball stands behind the goal because that's going to happen. Um, so they'll play this game on Tuesday. Tuesday night. It wouldn't surprise me if the LA Galaxy front office says, let's not win this game because we don't need any more games to be played in this. Now, uh, Mike Petke was actually uh, was was interviewed about playing in the League's Cup because Real Salt Lake is going to play in it. And he said that the organization has made it very clear to him that he is to take 
um, the League's Cup match seriously. Uh, we heard earlier from Houston Dynamo and, and earlier this year, whenever League's Cup was announced, um, and I, I think you had uh, you had their coach basically saying, you know, this will be a great te- great game for our USL division guys to call up and, and get played in this game. It's going to be very interesting to see how seriously the LA Galaxy pl- take this game, uh, knowing that they are away to Portland on Saturday, uh, that there's an all-star game midweek, and then the uh, the LA Galaxy play at Atlanta um, on August 3rd. So, and then I away- bet you Zlatan doesn't play. I would I would hope he was nowhere near the field um, in this particular game. I would that's what that's what I would hope. Um, just in terms of the amount of games that the Galaxy have, uh, this is something I don't know if the LA Galaxy had to play in. Um, with, there was no criteria for these first teams being picked. Uh, they were sort of selected. The LA Galaxy were selected, and they now have to play in this uh, next year. There's actual criteria. The first four. Uh, there's going to be doubling of teams, first of all, but the first four uh, finishers from each conference that aren't already part of the CONCACAF Champions League. So that could reach down to five, six, and seven um, whenever you see who's in the Champions League and who's not and who's qualified for that and how that goes. So um, that's what the LA Galaxy have. Again, it's a uh, 8 p.m. kickoff time at Dignity Health Sports Park. This game is, I believe, nationally televised on ESPN. Um, which is an interesting part as well. Um, so we'll see how the LA Galaxy do. But I mean, this is not a game in my mind the Galaxy even want to think about playing with any sort of seriousness. And heaven forbid they should win the game, Kevin, because then they would have to play another game um, during this congested schedule now as we go along. And I think you, I don't know if you said it, but we said it before the show whenever you and I were talking. The LA Galaxy have five home games left um, and eight road games, right? Right, and they have a couple of uh, cross-country trips. They have to go to Atlanta and, and D.C. United back-to-back weekends, but far enough apart where they're probably not going to stay there. So they have two trips uh, across the country. Then they have to go to Seattle, which is always a difficult trip, and they finish at Houston, which, yes, it will be October, so that means it will only be like 120 degrees as opposed to 420 degrees. Right. It's still going to be a difficult place to play, and, again, Houston's lost just once there all season. So they have a difficult schedule coming up. Yeah, it is. Uh, the LA Galaxy, by the way, uh, averaging 2.0 points per game at home. Um, that sits just above their overall uh, franchise record of 1.92 points per game. So that's their average 1.92 points per game. They're sitting at 2.00 points per game right now at home. So if you figure that there are five games uh, and they get 10 points out of those five games, um, then, you know, or excuse me, uh, let's see, two po- yeah, yeah, basically that's what it is. So 10 points out of those five games, which they could get better, they could get worse. That's just depends. Depending on, on where it is, but the LA Galaxy on the road are only averaging, you know, 1.44 points per game. Um, so then you have to go and sort of say, okay, so they're going to get um, eight and then half. So, you know, eight plus four, so 12 points from the road. So 10 points and 12 points, 22 more points. Um, if you're looking at sort of how they've played recently, you know, is that enough to get them where they need to go? Well- that, that would be 59 points, and I saw something online today where uh, somebody was looking at it and analyzing it and said 50, 50 points is going to be the cutoff. If you're uh, 50 points or better, you're in the playoffs. So that would be, give the Galaxy a very comfortable uh, ride to the playoffs, probably mid-table, yeah. know, third, fourth, somewhere in there where they're likely to get a home game. Yeah, it, it, and that's that's what you're looking for uh, if you're looking for this particular game. All right, I want to get to one uh, call that we had uh, from Brian. Brian called in after the LAFC game. Just wanted to uh, quickly uh, drop uh, in a note about what he saw. So uh, here's Brian. Hey, Josh. Wow. Uh, Brian Dasher calling from Irvine, first-time caller. Hey, great game by the team last night, but don't overlook the decisions by the coaching staff heading into that game. Benching Shelvick and Alvarez, stuffing Polenta down Carlos Vela's shirt, 
and moving Araujo up to support Ibrahimovic. I could tell when I saw that lineup card, dude, it's going to be a good night. Keep it up. All right, and uh, and there's Brian. No, I mean, okay, so Brian thought whenever he saw the lineup, this this was going to be a really good night, and I thought I have no idea how this is going to play out. Um, so, you know, hey, I, I like that you had some good vibes on that, Brian, and yeah, certainly we, we talked about the tactics and sort of where that that landed. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, for the most part, I think we, we've, we've covered everything. Um, there's going to be a Wednesday night show instead of a Thursday night show, so look for a Wednesday night show. I know the game's on Saturday, but uh, my son's in town, so Wednesday night works better than Thursday night, so going to do that for sure. So you want to keep an eye on that uh, for us. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you know, the Jolos game is something that I don't know what to expect, Kevin. And I don't know that the Galaxy know what to expect. I don't know that there's going to be a large crowd there on a Tuesday night at 8 p.m. I will be there. Larry will be there. Uh, I don't know. Are you going to be showing up to that game? Don't you get a night off that night? I am not going to show up to that game. Yes. I am going to take my first night off since May. Yes, you. I think Actually, you, I'll probably be writing, but I won't be at an event. At an event. Well, uh, there is a press conference on Monday. Uh, Larry Morgan, not on Twitter, has volunteered himself to go to that press conference. It might don't be. Look, don't look for what happens on Twitter. Yeah, I was going to say uh, he might be one of like two reporters that are there. Maybe maybe there's more, um, but that'll show up to that particular you know, press Steve, conference. Steve Goff of the Washington Post had an interesting idea um, or interesting theory that. This whole League's Cup thing was started because uh, Don Garber, the MLS commissioner, is really um, sort of uh, jealous of, of the, the great TV ratings that Liga MX gets in the United States, yep. you know, especially going up against MLS, and that he thinks that this might be some way to tap into that. I'm not sure what his philosophy is, whether he thinks a lot of people are going to tune in to watch the Liga MX teams are going to say, oh, my God, this Real Salt Lake is quite quite a group here. We should watch these games more often. I'm not sure what his uh, theory is, but that was one theory that's been throated, uh, floated because this this tournament doesn't make sense any other way. And especially, you know, one of the things that was floated, too, was like, oh, the uh, people in Mexico want to see uh, players like Jonathan Dos Santos and Ibrahimovic. Well, then how come none of the games are being played in Mexico? They're not going to get to see them. They can see them on TV already. So that doesn't really work. Then it's supposed to be a competitive tournament, but three of the four MLS teams did not make the playoffs last year. Yeah. The, all, all four Mexican teams uh, were very competitive in their competition. So, and the final is going to be played in Las Vegas, which is a neutral site. So it just sort of strikes me as this is not uh, really the idea that this is this uh, competitive tournament and this is the Junior World Cup is not really true. Uh, so here's here's my one counter to that, and I agree with 100% of what you said. Here's here's the thing. This tournament right now, this League's Cup tournament, has the ability to, by the way, to completely dwarf anything the CCL could do, um, in my mind. It, it gets the two biggest uh, leagues in CONCACAF to play each other on a regular basis. Now, if they the teams decided to take it seriously, and I don't know that the Jolos are going to take it seriously either. Their season just started. Um, I doubt they're going to start, you know, a hundred percent starting lineup that's going to go out there well, and play. And that's the other part. You talk about the CCL. The, the MLS teams have always said, "Hey, we play those when we're in our preseason, and you guys are midway through your season. That's unfair." Well, th- this is kind of the the flip side of that. Right. MLS teams are in the middle of their season, and Liga MX teams are, are just getting started. So at some point, there's going to have to be a shakeout. Which one is it? CCL more important? Or is this tournament more important? Which one survives? I don't know. Do you really want it? Do we really need to have the league seasons in both leagues and then two tournaments between the, t- no, the two leagues? No, no, and that's sort of the whole thing. I mean, the, the the sort of unfairness part of this that the CCL really is the regional tournament, right? You're going to get, you know, the Puerto Rican clubs in there. Um, you're going to get some of these other, you know, CONCACAF nations that get in there and, and can play, and that's good for the entire region. But really, when you look at it, two heavyweights are MLS and Liga MX, and so you want to see them sort of matching up against each other. Um, so, you know, if... 
at any point these teams decided to take it seriously, it could actually be a tournament. I just don't know if it's ever going to get to that point. Next year, there's qualification rules for both Liga MX and for uh, for uh, MLS. So there's qualifications. So you're going to get the upper-level teams in each of these areas to, to come down and play each other. And it's going to be eight teams from MLS, so doubling, and eight teams from Liga MX, doubling the, the competition and the, the size and the scope and all that sort of thing. So I don't know what that means. I don't know how that means. Um, it's not a home-and-away sort of tournament, so you sort of lose that. It's one time, and they're all being played in the United States. It's just, that's the only weird part that sort of, you know, takes shape in, in, in all this and how it goes. Well, the reason they're playing in the United States is the same reason the, the Mexican national team plays here, is you can charge much more for ticket prices, you, you know, do much better at the gate. CONCACAF dealt with that with this last Gold Cup, where they played a game in Jamaica, and I think another one in Costa Rica, and they talked about the game in Jamaica, where ticket prices were not even a fraction of what uh, games, you know, lesser games in the U.S. stadiums were we're getting and CONCACAF said doesn't matter we don't want the money for it's important that we spread this tournament and play it uh you know give some of these other teams a chance to have a home game and if this league's cup thing does uh, you know really develop into something that's going to have to happen i mean i can't imagine a mexican team if if the goal is to win this tournament to say yeah sure we'll play all the games there and make a bunch of money for the two leagues but you know, we'll just sort of forfeit and not really try to win the tournament. They're going to have to find a way to play some of those games in Mexico if this becomes a serious tournament. And the fact they're not tells me it's really not at this point. Well, uh, it'll be, uh, again, interesting to see. I have no prediction for what's going to happen on on Tuesday night. Um, I'll just let you know if it's tied after 90 minutes, they go directly to penalty kicks, so keep that in mind. Um, And I think everybody had to buy tickets for this. I don't think people were given tickets for this, Kevin. So I would expect that on a Tuesday night, if there are seven or 8,000 fans there, um, actually, you know, it could be a lot more than that because there could be a whole bunch of uh, Jolos fans that come up from uh, from TJ for this game. Uh, But anyway, Tuesday, July 23rd uh, at 8 p.m. Pacific time at Dignity. Health Sports Park. It is the first uh, ever League's Cup game for the LA Galaxy, um, and they'll be playing against uh, the Jolos of, uh, of Club Tijuana. So save your ticket stubs if this turns into be something great. You yeah. might want to tell people you're at the first game. Yeah. Um, if if there aren't a whole bunch of LA Galaxy two players on the field for the LA Galaxy, I'd be sort of uh, surprised. But we'll see. Uh, Monday may give us a little window into that. Uh, hopefully, that question and the seriousness and who's going to play in this is sort of ferreted out by the reporters who were there, uh, Larry and I were talking about it so I've, I've, I've at least tried to give him that uh, that direction is like find out what is gonna what how seriously they're gonna take it who's gonna play you know is it gonna be a bunch of guys is this a chance for people who don't play very much to show what they have and possibly make some make some moves up into the starting lineup those are the types of questions that you can ask to and sort of figure your that camouflage. out camouflage <laughs> didn't see him didn't see them happen. Didn't, they, they weren't there. That's, that's what they're going to say. The Galaxy are going to say, actually, there were 27,000 people there, but you couldn't see them because they were all camouflaged. You couldn't see them because they were they were gone. All right. Uh, let's see. Galaxy play at Portland again on Saturday, July 27th. That's a 7.30 p.m. Pacific time kickoff uh, broadcast on Fox. It says Fox and Fox Sports 1. I would imagine it's a Fox Sports 1 game, uh, FS1. So uh, look Portland, for that as two, well. Portland, 2-1-2 at home this year. That's not typical for them. They usually play much better at home. So the Galaxy could actually drop them to 500 at home that i think the galaxy i think the galaxy in terms of winning obviously beating a western conference opponent um as is more important than beating an eastern conference opponent um i saw atlanta beat dc united today without wayne rooney um but it was way late in the game atlanta is not an exciting team to watch right now um they're they're actually pretty boring in the build up and and all sorts of stuff they are getting wins they're playing well um, they beat DC United, but uh, the Galaxy will get a chance to play both of those guys coming up August 3rd against Atlanta and August 11th, DC United. All right. Uh, anything else, Kevin? 
I think that's it. We covered a lot of stuff. We did. Um, I will, swear that the chair is still squeaking. Yeah, it is. It is. That's fine. Um, I'll say this. Uh, I'm continued to be impressed by the level of soccer that is played during these El Trafico games. Uh, I think they're some of the best that we get to watch all year, uh, whether that's for the physicality or just the passion that is certainly shown from the from the stands. Um, it's interesting to see. Now, the Galaxy uh, can keep this undefeated streak against LAFC. Um, that, that remains even more important, I think, to LA Galaxy fans and to the LA Galaxy. Uh, just sort of, uh, as I said, uh, taking the most expensive real estate in Los Angeles, which is the hearts and minds of LAFC players, uh, and renting space there is what the LA Galaxy are doing right now, because uh, there seems to be a mental block whenever it comes to LAFC, and trying to actually beat the LA Galaxy, and we've seen collapses now uh, multiple times in these games, uh, and so that's what you saw once again, I think, from uh, this particular game. It's going to be, I think, the return leg of this gets even more interesting, um, but you have to wait until August 25th for that to happen. Well, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer this. Think about it. Better game, LAFC Galaxy, El Trafico, or uh, U.S. England in the World Cup semifinals? And more dominant player when the chips are down, Megan Rapino or Zlatan Ibrahimovic? Mm, interesting. Both dominating games. I don't know that I have a question for that. We'll just leave it up there. People can tweet at us. Uh, they'll probably tweet and yell at us for, for stupid stuff we said during this anyway. So why not include that in there as well? All right. Uh, I think that about does it again. A live show on Wednesday night. Uh, the Portuguese Hammer back in studio with me, so we'll be able to get you ready for Portland. We'll break um, down that Cholos game. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll talk about that game. We'll also let uh, Eric uh, tell you why he took his shirt off again at El Trafico, and he's got to stop doing that. It's getting disgusting. All right, uh, I think that about does it. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, please follow him at KBaxter11. Uh, head on over to LATimes.com where he does all of his sports coverage of soccer in Los Angeles and around the United States for the national teams as well. Go to latimes.com for all of his reporting. And if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at jgesman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course at Galaxy Podcast. Uh, and then please, please, please head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com where you can get all of our podcasts, all of our articles, our recaps, a great article by Larry Morgan about Julian Araujo up there. We have our game recap about the El Trafico as well there right now. And I imagine Larry's going to have a story about the press conference that's coming up for the Jolos on Monday. So again, See everybody out on the park on Tuesday, live show on Wednesday. All right, for Mr. Kevin the Panda Baxter, I'm Josh Kessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the walks on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, Goodbye, everybody.